Welcome to Lessons for Living. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. Many years ago in the United States, two lawyers boarded a train. Well, one of the lawyers happened to be a Christian, and the other was an atheist. Well, they sat side by side in the same coach, and they began to talk. Well, at one point in their journey, one of the lawyers turned to the other and said, hey, you want to talk about something that's really, really important? The other lawyer said, sure, what do you have in mind? Why don't we talk about this? Who is this Jesus? Was he the son of God or was he the world's greatest hoax? Well, they began to talk along these lines about this tremendously important subject. Now, the more they talked, the more the Christian lawyer felt that he was at a disadvantage unable to answer his skeptical friend's probing questions. And uh, he felt this proverbial knife being plunged deeper and deeper, and it was giving this Christian lawyer a great deal of pain. Well, at one point, the skeptical man kept asking questions, and the Christian lawyer didn't know what to say. He didn't have any answers. He was becoming more and more embarrassed, and finally his skeptical friend put the knife in for the very last time and said, you just happen to be a Christian because you were born here. And that's the thing to do. Well, by this time, the Christian lawyer is completely demoralized. He didn't know what to say. I'm going to tell you who these two men were because they were both important in their own ways. Well, one of the lawyers was a man by the name of Robert Ingersoll. He was the skeptic, the atheist. Ingersoll would go about the United States, and he was a brilliant platform speaker, and he would go about demoralizing the faith of people. He delighted in destroying the faith of Christians. Well, the Christian lawyer happened to be a man by the name of Lew Wallace, General Lew Wallace. And after his train ride with Ingersoll, he was appointed governor of the state of New Mexico. At that point, New Mexico was a, was a territory, not a state yet. While he was there, he wrote a book, a book that I bet you're all familiar with. The book was called Ben-Hur. Well, in that book, he attempted to answer the questions he was unable to answer on the train. Well, if you've read the book, or if you've seen the movie Ben-Hur, you know it's a stirring story. But really and honestly, if that was all I had to go on as to why I am a Christian, I have to tell you, my faith would be on a pathetically sandy foundation. Listen, I'm not here to judge anyone. If it helped Lou Wallace, that's wonderful. But it wouldn't help me. Now, I know there are people watching today that have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And maybe there's questions about who Jesus is. They've bothered you. Maybe there, there's other questions, but something is keeping you from making a commitment to Jesus. Maybe you're a skeptic. You know, maybe you're not willing to believe something just because someone said you had to or because everyone else in your family is walking that way. You're not just going to go along with it. 
Or maybe the evidence that has been set out for you to who Jesus is has not been of a substantial nature that would cause you to believe on which something solid on which you could build your faith. Before you decide to become a Christian, you have to be sure. And you cannot make a commitment to Christ as long as you have nagging doubts in the back of your mind. Well, what I'm going to do on today's program is show you from the Word of God things that I hope are going to stir your heart because they stirred my heart in such a way that when I saw these things, it left me no choice but to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everyone knows that the early Christian church was not welcome in the world. All of us know the stories of Christians being thrown to the lions, burned at the stake, Christians having their heads chopped off or thrown to wild animals in the pavilions for the amusement of the population. We all know these stories. We, we, we've read these stories. But let me ask you a question. Why did these early Christians sacrifice their lives? Why were they willing to die out of loyalty to a certain man, a penniless carpenter from Nazareth. I mean, why wouldn't these people just give in? Why wouldn't they just reject him? What was it? What caused them to, their, to fix their attention on him and him alone? Well, I'm going to tell you that the faith of a Christian whether today or back then, has always and will always be built on the Word of God. It's, it's no different today than it was then. And these early Christians, they saw in the person of Jesus Christ the perfect fulfillment of the Bible prophecies pointing to who the Messiah was. That's exactly what the early Christian church did. Now you may be, well, how do you know that? Well, let me show you a couple of texts as we get started. I'm going to turn to John chapter 1 and verse 45. Here we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Let me show you another one in Acts chapter 18, verse 28. The record tells us about Apollos, the great preacher of the early church. And, and here is what it says, Acts 18, 28. It says, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And so they convinced and they persuaded that here is the man spoken of in the holy word of God and the impact of this kind of preaching that was built on the Word of God caused that their faith would be built to a point that a man would rather be burned than deny the man of the book. Now, many of you watching know the Bible is divided into two parts. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, and the last part is the New Testament. In fact, the Old Testament... It was written before the birth of Christ. As a matter of fact, the last book of the Old Testament 
the book of Malachi was completed some 400 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, the New Testament, well, it contains the story of the life of Jesus and the impact that this teaching about his life had upon the world. Now, normally, when you read the life of a man, you begin with his birth. So let's start there. That's a logical point of departure. So I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. And you say, well, wait a second, but shouldn't we be in the New Testament? Well, I'm going to take you to the Old Testament, to a prophecy that was written some 710 years before Jesus Christ was born. It's found in the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. We read, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago and from the days of eternity. Now think about that. Of all the places in the world, the long finger of the prophet comes down squarely on Bethlehem. But as for you, Bethlehem. Now listen to me carefully. If Jesus Christ had not been born in Bethlehem, according to the prediction of the prophet, I would not believe in him because he'd be the wrong man because he'd been born in the wrong place. He has to be born in that particular town that the prophet said. Well, let's go one step further. What does prophecy say, if anything, about his nationality? Let's go to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. In the 49th chapter, there's an interesting story told. Here is the old patriarch Jacob. His name is Israel. It's because his name has been changed. And the old man is on his deathbed. Picture this. He's there on his deathbed. In the last moments of his life, he calls each of his 12 sons in. And while he has all his boys about him, the Spirit of God rests upon this dying man. And out of his mouth came prophecy. He prophesied over the head of each of these boys. And when he gets to Judah, he says this in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. You see, the Bible says that the man in whom we can place our faith, the man of whom the prophet spoke... He must be a Jew of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus was a Jew. In fact, he is called in the Bible the lion of the tribe of Judah. If he is not a Jew, he is not the man in whom you and I can place our faith. Well, I'm going to turn to my Bible and read with you one of the most exciting chapters that can enter the human mind. Isaiah chapter 53. And in verse 7 of Isaiah 53, we read this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Now, let's compare the prophecy that was speaking of Jesus to what actually happened with Jesus. Matthew chapter 26 
and beginning at verses uh, 62, we read, the high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Did you see that? If Jesus had made a passionate defense of his own self, I would not believe in him. You know why? Because the prophet said the Messiah would remain silent. Let's look at another thing. Here in Isaiah 53, this time verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Did you see that? Jesus died between two thieves. He died with wicked men. You see, if Jesus had not died with criminals, he would not have fulfilled the prophecy, and therefore, I couldn't believe in him. But notice the detail. It goes on, it says, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Well, the record of the Bible is quite simple. It says that no sooner had Jesus died on the cross, two of the three wealthiest men in Jerusalem openly proclaimed themselves as his followers. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Well, Joseph of Arimathea claimed the body of Jesus. He went to the door of Pilate's palace, knocked on the door, and asked for an audience with Pilate. Well, he received the audience, and he asked for the body of Christ. Now, what do you think got him access to the governor? Well, his money. It was the power of his money that got him an audience with Pilate. Listen, no ordinary citizen would have gotten that access, but he did because of his money. You see, if Jesus had not been with the rich man in his death, I couldn't believe in him. He'd be the wrong man. Well, there's something else here that I think is even more shocking, even more spectacular. As I turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter 11, the 12th verse, I read the record here of the betrayal of Jesus. Now, there's something amazing here in this application. Follow along with me. Zechariah 11, beginning at verse 12. I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, I suspect that most of you watching know that Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot for how many pieces of silver? 30 pieces of silver. 
If he had been betrayed for 29 pieces or 31 pieces of silver, he would not be the Messiah because the prophecy said it had to be 30 pieces. But more than that, probably the most surprised man in the court that night when Jesus was tried was Judas Iscariot. He expected that at any moment, Jesus would raise his finger and with the mighty power that had stilled the winds and calmed the waves, that he would lay all of his enemies out on the floor moment by moment goes by. And Judas watches this whole thing Finally, a death penalty is pronounced upon Jesus. The record of the Bible is that Judas, he takes that money that's in this little bag, these 30 pieces of silver, and he rushes up to the high priest and he pulls upon the hem of his cloak and says, let him go, let him go, I have betrayed innocent blood. Judas now takes the 30 pieces of silver that are now a a horror in his hands and he throws them to the floor there in the same temple where he had made the bargain. Now the record of scripture is that he leaves from that place and he hanged himself. Well now, here's the money of the betrayal on the floor. What are they to do with it? One of the priests says, well, let's just pick it up and put it back in the treasury. The other priest says, no, no, don't touch it. You can't do that. That's blood money. The Bible record says someone else said, I'll tell you what we'll do with it. Let's take it and let's buy a potter's field. They bought a potter's field with the money of the betrayal where the unknowns and the impoverished of society could be buried. The record of the Bible is that a potter's field was bought with the money of the betrayal. (laughs) It happened exactly the way the prophet said it would take place in the house of the Lord. If it had not happened that way, I would not believe in Jesus because he would have been the wrong man. Well, let me lead you into the last and maybe even the most exciting bit of prophecy. I know many of you watching since we were children, learned the 23rd Psalm. We're quite familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Well, the Psalm that has lived its existence in the shadow of the 23rd Psalm is the 22nd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is the Psalm of the commitment of the Lord Jesus, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, the 22nd Psalm is the psalm of the crucifixion. I want to read just a couple of verses from Psalm 22, beginning at verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You say, Bill, wait a minute. I think you're in the wrong place. That's from the New Testament. No, no, I'm not in the wrong place. That's from the Old Testament. The 22nd Psalm. 
That's where David wrote it. That's how he wrote it. So let me ask you this question. Where did David get these words? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, I believe David was a prophet. David was led, as were all the prophets of the Bible, ordinary men with an extraordinary experience. I believe David was led down the corridor of time, and I believe David stood by prophetic revelation from God at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And he heard those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure that's the way it's happened. Who is quoting who? Is David in the 22nd Psalm quoting Jesus, or is Jesus on the cross quoting David? Well, I've given much thought to that in prayer, and I've come with an answer. In the same Psalm, verse 16, here is what it says. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. You see, I have come to the conclusion that it was David quoting Jesus because of the pierced hands and the pierced feet of the 16th verse of the 22nd Psalm. Now, there's something, <laughs> there's something remarkable here that I want to call your attention to. Every nation in the history of the world, up until modern times, has had a death penalty and a manner by which that penalty was executed. Well, France has used the guillotine, the British death by hanging. Others have used gas chambers, electric chairs, lethal injection, firing squad. But it was the Romans who really expanded the use of crucifixion, nailing their hands and their feet, exposing them to torture under the sun. The record, the ancient record says that lots of times people would die of dehydration or they would die of starvation on the cross. And sometimes they would die of gangrene, blood poisoning from the wounds in their hands and their feet. What we know is that crucifixion was the Roman method of prolonging death. Instead of making it quick, they made it an agony. We know that. Now you're wondering, but what does that have to do with the prophecy here? They pierced my hands and my feet. Well, here's where things begin to come into focus. David lived some 1,000 years before Jesus. Romulus and Remus founded Rome in 753 before Jesus. Now, what's important about that? Well, watch. David was writing the 22nd Psalm 1,000 years B.C. Rome was founded in 753 B.C., 250 years before Rome was even a village, the prophet told us the manner of the Messiah's death. He would have his hands and his feet pierced. You see why the early church, with all of these things in mind, would rather die than be disloyal to the man of whom the prophets did speak. 
to tell you, you can be sure beyond the shadow of any doubt that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. In fact, he said, he that hath the Son hath life. If you believe in me, he said, you will have everlasting life. So the question is, why can't we believe? Why can't we give ourselves? Why can't we just set aside all that is so petty and insignificant and begin to really live? Why can't we reach out to life everlasting that he's offering us? He is the man of this book. And eternal life is his gift to you and I through his blessed name. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the prophecies that show us beyond the shadow of the doubt that he is the one of whom the prophets spoke. Father, I pray for those right now that are lifting up a prayer to heaven, claiming Jesus as their personal Savior. We thank you for the decisions being made right now, and we pray that you bless each and every viewer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every week we like to present you with a gift, something for your spiritual library. And uh, this week I have this little booklet. It is called uh, Steps to Jesus. It's a great way to introduce a friend or a family member to who Jesus really is. It's a gift from us here at Lessons for Living Television. No obligation whatsoever on your part. If you would like to get this booklet, here's the information you need to order one. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. Well, we've come to the end of another program. I want to thank you again for taking the time to join us. A couple of things before we go I want to remind you of. The website, l4ltv.com. On the website, you can send a prayer request. You can ask for today's gift. You can see any of our previous programs. And there's a live appearances tab. And there you will find uh, where I will be appearing live mainly Southern Ontario, but outside of Southern Ontario also. Also on the website, you can search for a Bible study group, right? I have the listings there in Ontario and Alberta of great places you can go to study the Bible. Now, if there's no group there within a decent, you know, proximity to where you live, then on that page, you can contact us and we're prepared to study with you or set someone up to study with you because we believe 
that being grounded in the Word of God, just like those early Christians, that is the secret to success in the Christian existence. Also remember our Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at Santos underscore Bill. Well, that's all we have for this week. I hope next time you will be back with us and why not ask a friend to join in and watch also. I pray that God will bless you richly. We'll see you back here again real soon. Take care.